My name is Holly Kinnean and this is Dialing In With Habitus. Seabart Ross is a New Zealand architecture studio based in Wellington, founded by Thomas Seabart and James Ross in 2019. Within its first 12 months of business, the architects and small business owners have had more than an expected amount of uncertainty when starting a business, being a global health crisis and a period of total lockdown in New Zealand that lasted just over four weeks. On today's episode of Dialing In With Habitus, we chat to Thomas and James about lessons in business and architecture learned during the time spent working for an established and well-known architecture firm. We speak about intricacies in extracting a client brief to ensure the architectural response meets the atmospheric needs as well as the functional ones. And we speak about the impacts of a countrywide lockdown and how Thomas and James have grown not only as architects, but as small business owners. Here they are. Thomas Searbard, James Ross, thank you for dialing in with Habitus and welcome to you both. Hello. Hello. Hi. We like to begin these conversations by hearing a little bit of background about your journey with architecture so far. So, uh, Thomas, let's start with you. Yep. So, I um, I grew up with pretty creative parents. Um, my dad is a musician and my mum is a journalist. And so, I was always encouraged to be drawing and making art as a child. And that sort of followed through right through my school years. And I was initially looking at industrial design, but in my final year of high school, I did one project, which was to design a house for an entire year. And that really uh, sort of steered my creativity on architecture. And I started to pursue that as a sort of viable option. And yeah, and then went to Victoria University in Wellington and just loved it with every year that I that I went through. So definitely the right the right career choice for me. And James, what about yourself? Yeah, so I always wanted to be an architect from quite a young age and then um, went through my primary school and secondary school education. And then at the end of secondary school, I did a work experience trip with a local architect. And on that trip, that kind of actually put me off architecture a little bit. So, (laughs) yeah, so I think what happened, there was actually like one small comment that put me off. And so the architect said, we're going to have a bit of a fun day today and go and do a site measure and then we went and did the site measure and that kind of like just got me a bit worried about architecture the fact that a site measure was like a fun part for it (laughs) that kind of just made me hesitate a little bit with architecture Uh, so I I ended up enrolling in a physics degree to become a, a secondary school teacher and then from there First week of university, I really didn't enjoy the physics side of things, so I, I changed over to enrolling in a design degree, and then I did two years of design, uh, majoring in landscape architecture, before finally kind of learning a bit more about architecture through studying alongside architect for architecture students, and then that got me really enthusiastic for architecture. So by the time I'd been through that process, I was ready to just get stuck into the degree and haven't really looked back since. So here I am. Hmm. And, and tell me a little bit about Seabud Ross. How did you guys come together and, and why did you establish a practice? Uh, so we previously worked uh, for four years together at a firm called Studio Pacific, uh, which is based in Wellington and it has around 80 or so staff so it's quite quite big for Wellington and we would have catch-ups at morning tea and things and it became apparent pretty quickly that we liked some of the same architects and uh, 
looked at projects in a similar way and looked at architecture in quite a similar way. And so the first step was uh, doing a little private job, which was for a cafe at Wellington Airport. So we did that on the side at work and really enjoyed the collaboration. And that kind of led into having conversations about starting a practice. Yeah, and I think we, we were always talking about the fact that we would like to work for ourselves mm-hmm. and have autonomy. Um, it's amazing working in a big practice and getting to work on enormous projects and you know extremely complicated projects, but we both had such a strong desire to design for ourselves that it was you know kind of leaving and, and starting something was always on the table. Yeah, we didn't quite see ourselves sticking out in a big practice for you know, 15 years. Yeah, I echo that. (laughs) (laughs) And what are some of the, um, I guess, the takeaways that you would have got from working from a big practice that you're able to, I guess, put in place to your studio now that it's just the two of you? Um, I think just being able to run a really good organised office is important. Um, So in a big practice, you know, everything has to be really well coordinated. Everything is super well organised. There are templates for kind of every task. And so bringing some of those efficiencies into a small practice has been really helpful. Um, and it means that even on simpler projects, like our projects now are a lot simpler and smaller in scale, we can apply the same kind of level of detail in terms of the efficiencies as we did in the big practice. So what that probably means is that as we grow as a studio, the infrastructure that we set up at the start will allow us to do that in quite a streamlined manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably one of the big ones. And, probably, and also just being able to, you know, the importance of looking after staff. We were treated really well at our previous firm and they take a lot of care with their employees, especially around their health and well-being. And so just being mindful of that for when we do get staff members. Mm. It, it's just the two of you at the moment, I understand. Do you, do you have those plans to expand or is it sort of the idea that it'll just be the two of you and you can pick and choose what you're working on because you only have yourselves to think about, I guess, in that way. Yeah, so at the moment we've got a full workload for us two Hmm. and I think one of the things we've talked about is we'll work on projects of any scale as long as we think they've got the right kind of aspirations and uh, aspirations that align with what we want to do and and our projects where we think we can add value. So that's probably governing our growth strategy a little bit at the moment. We don't want to grow big if it means doing projects that we're not well aligned with. So yeah, yeah, we want our growth to be mainly more and more projects that we think are are cool projects and where we can add value. Mm. Yeah, and we had some advice from a well-known New Zealand architect who said that he runs a practice of about 30 to 35 and he said that with all practices there are sweet spots of you know like five and then seven and then maybe 15 um and he his advice to us was to not grow too quickly because it can it can sort of run away on you a little bit so yeah just being really cognizant of that and not stretching ourselves too far too quickly And what's your briefing process like? How do you extract the needs, the requirements, and even, I guess, expectations out of your clients to ensure that you're delivering not only beautiful spaces but functional and responsive ones at that? Probably, like most architects, we have a pretty thorough briefing process. Um, We meet with the clients in person, um, and then we prepare a big document which summarises their brief uh, to us, which we send back to them for approval. But something that we focus on, which we didn't necessarily find our previous fit, is 
we, as well as the functional aspects of the brief, we really like to hone into the atmospheric or aspirational parts of a client's project and talk to them about, you know, so if we're doing a new house, we might talk to the clients about um, houses that they've been to in the past or buildings they've been to in the past that really spark joy or what specific experiences, you know, like whether it's having a cup of coffee in the morning on a bench seat in the sun or retreating to a dark bedroom in winter that's super cosy. Um, having those sorts of conversations we find is really helpful for pushing a project in a pretty interesting direction from an atmospheric perspective, not just functional. Yeah, so like that idea of having a starting point, such as how do you want your dining table experience to be? Well, how do you want to have breakfast? Like, do you want sun on your face as you're having breakfast? Some of those questions can be quite good starting points for reverse engineering a, a house or, a, or mm. a building to not only meet the client's expectations, but go beyond and almost like a next level experience where people enjoy buildings in a way they didn't think was possible. Mm. So, yeah, we're not just there to, you know, draw the plan and get a consent. And that's what we're finding a lot is actually educating people what architects do. And people are surprised to hear that we think so carefully about the interiors and, you know, right down to door handles and, and all of that. So it's been really interesting for us to, to actually learn that quite a lot of the New Zealand public don't fully appreciate what architects do. Um, oh. so kind of, yeah, and like the, the level of expectation you can set for a project. Mm. Mm, yeah. Are your are your clients have they been so far largely people that maybe haven't worked with architects so far? Do you think that's why they um they have those I guess different expectations? Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Some of our clients are friends of ours that haven't worked with architects, but they've been surrounded by architects a lot. Other clients are, have had experience with architects in the past. So it is a bit of a range, but even if they've had experience working with architects, they might not have, we might be approaching things in a different way to the previous architects that worked with them did. Yeah, um, yeah just bringing a different spin on the process and a different thoughts on design. And something else we're trying to, where I think we're learning at the moment as well as that we need to tailor our approach to the different clients that we have and the different needs that they have. So, yeah, we're finding there's not really a formula for working with a client that can be applied to every client. Like we need to be kind of responsive to the feedback that we're getting and mm. their styles of communication and how they like to work. So some clients might supply us with a Pinterest board mm. and then another client might give us some artwork and that's the foundation for the project. So, yeah, I actually quite enjoy that aspect, working out how to work with an individual to give them what they want. Yeah, I think it's definitely a um, an interesting and, and quite an intricate process as well as people find the ways or the words to articulate what they want when they don't necessarily have the same language or experience with architecture as architects would. Uh, and I think it's also interesting to hear that, yeah, some of your clients are maybe surprised or pleasantly surprised, I would assume, at, at the level of detail that goes into that briefing process. And I think the more people that understand how detailed architecture is, I guess the more you uh, realise the difference that it can make and, and those little things, like you said, having breakfast in the sun, you can actually, that doesn't have to be like a happy coincidence, you can design that in. Yeah. yeah. Um, New Zealand was obviously in a total lockdown very recently. Uh, how did you navigate those recent weeks and what changes did it bring about? Uh, so at the moment, Thomas and I, we 
live an hour apart. So I'm an hour away from Wellington and I catch the train in, uh, three days a week to work. And the other days I work from home. So we were already reasonably well set up for remote working. Um, but then we downloaded some software called Slack that's pretty pretty big, I think. Quite big. But yeah, it's quite a big company. But, um, so we've, we've been using that and it's been really handy. It's just an easy way to communicate in the cloud. But um, in terms of other things we've been doing, uh, there's been, yeah, been quite a few Zoom meetings, a lot of phone calls. But now New Zealand's out of lockdown, so we're back to a level of normality. Yeah, because you've got quite a beautiful office that I think is uh, you recently completed. Is that right? Yeah, so we moved and it must have been about two weeks before New Zealand went into level four. <laughs> right. Um, so that kind of amazing timing. And <laughs> to sort of have, yeah, to have a, a pretty major recession on our hands within kind of the first year of business is also pretty amazing timing. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, yeah, we're stoked to be in a space finally and, yeah, happy with the fact that the quality of space sort of does match our aesthetic and we've been lucky enough to have some client meetings here recently, which has been a lot easier than on Zoom, um, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely has its limitations. But mm. another quite cool thing with our new offices is our landlord, she's an architect and oh, right. she's like the building was in a really great state to move into right from the get go. So that's been quite an easy exercise moving in. And, um, we're finding like the furniture that we've got looks really good. And it's yeah, it's almost like reinforcing what we think about architecture the fact that our landlord has already added a lot of value to the building. That's made our transition really good. Mm. Mm. I get that's an interesting point that you mentioned about in the first, you know, within the first year of business having this major financial disruption. How has that changed the way you think about your business or maybe manage it and, and just the considerations that you have in terms of, yeah, I guess the business side as opposed to the architecture side? Yeah, it's really interesting. We we were probably the first two weeks of the lockdown, we might have panicked a little bit. Hmm. Um, and then we, we start to think about worst case scenarios and, you know, if New Zealand does go into a huge financial downturn, what we could do as a practice to protect ourselves. And um, actually what we've been doing is diversifying our work a little bit. So it would be amazing to just be working on beautiful architectural projects all the time in amazing New Zealand landscapes, but that's not necessarily the case. So actually we've been, you know, just offering some consenting and drawing services for local builders and for some interior designers as well that need help with consenting or drawing Um, and that's been really good to kind of provide another stream of work for the business that doesn't necessarily have to go on our website or anything like that but it, it just helps for cash flow and to keep us afloat through what might be a turbulent uh, few months yeah and but and even on those small projects that might not be super glamorous. We've still been trying to add as much value as possible, but perhaps in different ways. Like it might be making sure a window is perfectly positioned for climate and sunlight and things like that. But it's having a different ambition for the project, but still trying to add value, definitely. And I think we, when we set out, we reached out to a few architects around um, the country and overseas as well, and we've actually learned that there's a lot of firms that do this approach. Right. And just a standard practice, like even outside of, um, you know, unprecedented times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
even though you might just see the top 20 projects I've worked on on their website, there's usually a whole lot of other work behind it, which is just helping to keep, keep the business afloat. So after probably going through that exercise, we feel a little bit more confident now about the next six months, yeah, with what might happen to the economy. Hmm. And, and I was noticing as well, your projects, even in themselves, are, I guess, diverse in terms of scale and a sphere as well. You do commercial, residential, hospitality, and then also furniture design as well. So in terms of architecture and design, even within that, there's a, a level of diversity there that it means that you're not just speaking to one type of client, potentially. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think it, that's not just a business decision. That's also like an approach to creativity. Mm. So we, so in terms of furniture, one thing we're learning in our conversations with some of the manufacturers and furniture selling companies is that there's a lot of investment up front, and that can be from the designers as well and with the potential for royalties in the future. So it's, yeah, from a business point of view, it's a different model to getting paid for your time as you would on an architectural project. Mm. So um, I think what's driving us, uh, so we definitely want to pay the bills, but we also just want to work on really interesting projects. And so that's another reason that we're doing the, the furniture. You were mentioning before um, speaking to clients on, or you know, potentially clients, but potentially other people as well on Zoom meetings. Um, it's been interesting. Some of these conversations I've had, um, people like that medium a lot for its uh, convenience, and I guess it's easier to get a hold of people. And and also clients and architects can feel a little bit more casual in it. But then, as potentially you mentioned, there are also some drawbacks in that you don't you're not as easily able to pick up on subtleties of cues and, and things yeah. like that. What are you guys finding about video conferencing? How are you finding it? I think there's a certain size of meeting that it still works pretty well. Mm-hmm. So say if there's four of us, like two clients, and Thomas and I typically will both be there at a meeting. So I think that scale of meeting works pretty well. But then once it gets up to around, you know, eight to ten or more, it becomes a little bit difficult for everyone to uh, speak mm. kind of a turn. And sometimes you might find someone who's uh, less forthcoming. They might sit back for a whole Zoom meeting and not say anything. So, yeah, I think, I think it is definitely challenging at that scale of eight to ten plus. And we haven't really come up with a solution for that kind of size. Mm. I was just going to say that, yeah, I, I agree with James. Um, and something that I miss a little bit with the Zoom is not being able to draw in front of clients. And so it's, it can be hard to communicate ideas with them, you know, whereas if you're sitting around the table, you can actually be drawing in front of them and sketching out the plans. Uh, so from that perspective, it is a little bit more difficult. But, you know, that's something we actually have to get used to because we, the reality is that we, we want to do work all over the country and you can't always just be flying around and also from a global emissions perspective as well just being mindful of Mm. of that so I think the the industry and the world needs to get a little bit used to doing the the virtual yeah interesting I was speaking to someone uh, last week who was kind of I guess had had a similar thought it's it's very easy to jump on a plane and sometimes clients who are uh, in in a different city or even a a different country are eager to see you and get that one-on-one time in person and it's it's kind of hard to you know, why wouldn't you? But I guess mm. now with this rethinking, it shows you that, you know, there are times where video conferencing is, is just as good and it's, maybe it's not, you know, replace all meetings with uh, virtual ones, but you can replace some of them, especially if they are uh, meaning that you have to travel for them. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. 
caused a bit of a definitely caused a rethink, hasn't it? Mm. And, and so now that the lockdown's lifted in New Zealand, you mentioned you're able to go back into the office a little bit. What are your working habits looking like? How are you? Are you able to see clients? And, and do you have needs to see clients at the moment? Uh, so New Zealand, we're in level two at the moment. So basically, that means that we have to observe social distancing and we have hand sanitizer at the mm. door when people come into our office. But basically, we're back to a level of normal. So it means that we can meet with clients. There's a maximum gathering size of 10, uh, which we're typically under. So it really is, it's almost business as usual for us. Uh, yeah. What's it like in Australia at the moment? Is, it, is that similar to what you have? Yeah, it's quite similar over here. I think there's, um, you're able to meet as long as you have enough um, space to, to meet while social distancing. And I think it's just the idea of if you need to meet, you can. And if you can avoid that, then that's probably ideal. Um, so it's just kind of, I guess, um, proceed with caution, meet if you need to do it, but smartly. And I think definitely in terms of building sites, they're going ahead and the construction industry has been really um, versatile in making sure and adaptable in making sure that they do have space for enough space for all the people that need to be on site. Yeah, I think there's a bit of confidence coming back to New Zealand in terms of mm. attitude to the threat of COVID. Uh, so we've had, I think it might be eight days or six days or something like that of zero cases. Wow. So, yeah, so it's, we're in quite a good position. I definitely, uh, well, I think there's probably a spectrum of people being conservative versus cavalier, but. Yeah, it does feel like things are, um, are starting to return to normal over here. Hmm. Uh, I guess before we wrap up, we would love to hear from each of you what your main takeaway from this experience has been so far, uh, and that can be professional or personal. Um, I think for me, a big takeaway, and James and I have talked about this a lot, is probably just building, in terms of the business, just building margins in and so what I mean by that is just making sure that there's kind of enough reserves there to sustain us if everything fell over tomorrow and New Zealand we kind of seem to go through these periods where we have these events that people don't foresee like the Christchurch earthquake or the 2008 recession and then now coronavirus and so from a business owner just making sure that yeah there are reserves and what that means for us in the immediate term is that we just are careful of our expenses um, and maybe not making those big purchases right now and just saving it up for when things are a little bit rosier, I guess. Mm. And I guess on a personal level for me, that same idea of margin. Uh, so the house that we own, where we've started a vegetable garden and we're just trying to make ourselves a little bit less reliable on things like supermarkets and uh, mm. also even just from a spending point of view, having our own resources that we can use that are quite easy to do and very accessible. Yeah, so basically not trying to max out and, you know, have that expectation that there's nothing that will go wrong in the future. Mm. But also trying to do that in an optimistic way. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's, I guess that idea about a vegetable garden, it's also nice to know that you, there are ways that you that we can provide for ourselves that we don't necessarily need to, but we still have that capacity. We're not completely... Um, out of control or at the mercy of supermarkets and big companies there are still things that we can do um, for ourselves yeah exactly wonderful thomas james thank you again for your time and looking forward to speaking to you soon great thanks colleagues, colleagues.
My name is Holly Kinneen. That was Dialing In with Habitus, and you can read more about architecture, design, and the creative community at habitusliving.com.au or by following Habitus Living on Instagram. A link to both of those and more in the episode notes.